Hi, friends, and welcome to All Things Relatable, a place where stories are shared. It's hard to put a value on a story because the lasting effects it can have are often priceless. An individual's story has the potential to impact our lives in tremendous ways. My hope for you in joining me today is that this episode resonates with you and that you leave enlightened, ignited, and inspired because it only takes one moment to spark a change and leave an everlasting effect. All right, friends, today we're going to talk about hitting rock bottom. My next guest, Sam, is here to share her story of how she ended up there in that dark place. Rock bottom means something completely different to each person that's experienced it based on their unique situation. But when we hear the words rock bottom, we know it's not a good place. Sam is here to share with us what that experience was like for her and how she managed to find her way out and on the road to recovery. Hey, Sam, I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so I'm so excited to dive into all things, but I want to start here. So this is what I've been thinking about of the topic of rock bottom. And I've come to believe that some people can get there overnight and it just happens so quickly. One Mm. minute they're, they're out of it and one minute they're there. And there's not much warning. And for other people, it's kind of like a so slow process, a series of Mm. events that kind of lead you there over time. So Mm. what was it for you? Did you find yourself hitting rock bottom like quickly, or was it kind of like a series of slow events or situations that, that got you there? That's a great question. Um, I would have to say, so I would say that there were two points in my life where I hit rock bottom. Um, and in both instances, they were a series of things that fed into each other that led to that moment. And so in the first instance, I was about 13 or 14 years old. And like, I grew up in a, in a great family. I have three sisters. My parents were together until, um, I was like 16 or something. But so before that, um, like they took us places, they provided for us. Like, I always have a hard time telling this story because it's like my experience was so like not what what it appeared, I think, from the outside. Um, and it, there's such a discrepancy between um, between like what I think people understood and saw and what actually, what my experience actually was. So in the first instance where I, hit rock bottom. Basically, I was about 13 or 14 years old. And this was the first time that I um, was contemplating suicide. And that was like the first rock bottom for me. So, and the reasons why I was contemplating that is because I grew up really highly, extremely sensitive. And I didn't know that. I didn't know what that was. And I felt like everyone else in the world was just so good at coping. And there was something innately wrong with me. And so I was afraid of things that everyone else around me seemed to be perfectly fine with and around. And they like had no issues, but I would like lose sleep for months about like the same situation. And so I was just like, there must be, I must be broken. There's something wrong with me. And so that was one of the things that made it kind of hard for me to exist. And that led me to that point. And then another couple of things that led me to that was that my friendships at school were kind of fleeting. Like I had friends, but then 
they weren't really consistent and they weren't always super trustworthy. So there was kind of this story that like I wasn't worthy of steadfast, solid friendship. There was that going on too. And then the other thing is that in my home, I had, like I said, I had three sisters. Um, everyone, even still now, people are like, oh, and it's great. Okay, it's great to have three sisters. Right? It's not a bad thing. Um, but my experience when I was younger is that I felt like, and I mean, this was, I struggle. I struggle to explain these things. But um, my experience was that I couldn't do anything right. And that I was a huge, stupid loser. And that I, yeah, I was made fun of a lot for what seemed like everything. There was no safe person. I couldn't go home and talk to one of them about my friend issues or boy issues or whatever, right? And then because we were all so close in age, like both my parents were basically, this is, again, my experience, my take on things, but basically spent. So they had four kids in three years because I'm a twin. So, right. So mom was just like making sure everyone's basic needs were met. Right. And then my dad worked, my mom worked too, but mom and my dad worked, but then he worked like a side gig too. So he was just like working a lot to make sure, to make sure we were provided for. And my mom, uh, you know, was just making sure like our basic needs were met. And so it kind of went, unnoticed that I was this really highly anxious, extremely sensitive person. And so when I went home, it was like, uh, not a very validating environment. I didn't really feel like I had any safe people to talk to or to express these fears to. And I was just kind of always on edge. The other thing that didn't help this situation either, which a lot of people I don't think talk about is that my parents used violence as a form of punishment. So all well-intended, all well-intended, right? Like they didn't mean for it to have lasting effects. They were just trying to get a point across and make sure we didn't, you know, stray or cross lines and, you know, that we were, were not assholes basically, <laughs> you know, like just well-intentioned, but very uh, traumatizing to the person on the other end because the person who's supposed to be like loving you and taking care of you is also the person like hitting you without your consent, right? Like it's not consensual. You don't, you're not, you don't want that, right? To receive that. So kind of all those factors combined um, created what I think was my first rock bottom where I was like, I don't want to be here. Like, I don't want this. Like, I don't know how to exist. There's so much like stimulation and scariness out there in the world. And I, I can't handle it, but everyone else can. So I must be broken. And my friends aren't really safe people. My sisters aren't really safe people. My parents aren't really safe people. I have no one. I have no one. And I had one, I remember this, I had one friend who I told um, that like my parents were violent. I didn't, I just assumed like everyone at school, like that's how it was for everyone. Just ever, nobody talked about it. So, and I remember telling one friend at school that this happened in my home and, and we were on the phone and I was telling her, you know, again, kind of what had been going on. And, and she was like, Sam, like you always complain about the same things. Like, I'm just sick of hearing about it. And I was like, 
ah. <laughs> so like that was like the closest thing I had had to a safe person. And now this person was basically saying like, you're repeating yourself all the time. And it was like, yeah, cause this is my reality. Like, I don't know who else to talk to, you know, obviously I didn't have the vocabulary then, but I really, like, I remember that phone call and I, I remember like, I think I hung up on her. I was so like shocked and I didn't even know what to say, but it was like all, everything on my insides like fell down. And I was like, I have no one. Like, I don't want to be here. If this is my existence, if I have to get up every day, protect, like put on all these shields, not actually say or speak my mind or do things that I would actually do and say things and act in a way that I want to act. Like I remember like sh completely shutting myself down because I was so afraid to get made fun of because it happened so often. And so I just started to like withhold my like words. I wouldn't, I would just not speak. And I would just not act in a way that I, you know, thought I might get made fun of for. And I was just on edge all the time. And so, yeah, that's kind of the first <laughs> rock bottom, if you will. Wow. That is, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's a really sad, you know, childhood to, to experience. And I feel like, you know, you're not alone in that. There's so many young people that, feel that way. Right. And that are growing up that way right now that feel it's like in a world of so many people where there's like 6 billion people, sometimes it's like really fascinating and really like to sit and think about how lonely that a person can feel when there's so many people. But like you mm -hmm. said, when you don't have, like, you felt like you didn't have anybody. And finally you said to this friend, like, this is what's happening. And then, you know, maybe if it was a different reaction, it could have completely changed everything, but then to finally open up and say this, and, you know, you're repeating yourself because this is what's happening. And it's like somebody to talk to, and then to get that reaction is, is really, really sad. So when you say you contemplated suicide, like how far did it go? Like, did you, like when you, when you thought about it, did you try to take any action or did you seek out help or when you got to that point was there anybody that you could finally talk to to help you you know get out of that place yeah like take that edge off right I I mean just for the like just for the like the safety and protection of your listeners I don't want to like go into too much detail but basically I did try a couple of times but uh and no one knew and I didn't realize that at the time when I was trying, I was too naive to know that how I was trying wasn't actually going to be successful, but I still tried. So there were two or three, I mean, I don't remember how many times, but it was a handful, like a small handful of times. Um, yeah, no, I did not tell anybody. No one had any clue. And at the time too, it's not like any, like we didn't have the internet then. <laughs> so it wasn't like you could just Google a helpline or something. I, I remember like contemplating calling one, but then I was like, it was so like unheard of. Like it wasn't a thing you, and because I thought that my experience was so much like everybody else's, I was like, well, they're just going to like laugh me off the phone because this isn't even like a valid enough situation. Right. Like I was so young. I, right. So, um, it wasn't like there was support available like there is now. Like if there were organizations, if there were places, I didn't know about them except like the, I think it was like kids help phone. You get like the magnets at, at school. Like that's the only one that I 
remember thinking about calling, but I never ended up calling them. Um, because I mean, with six people in the house, there was pretty much somebody home all the time. So I didn't really have like the privacy to do that or anything. So I just kind of, I never did that, but, um, it did get better though, of course. Um, um, that was around like grade eight ish. And then in, in high school, I mean, so much changes in high school, but like your schedule changes and, you know, your, your group of friends starts to change and stuff. And so I had made, um, one particular friend, her name is Carolyn. She's still my best friend now. Um, yeah. And her, like just her generous friendship, her loving, giving energy, just really made me feel really seen and cared for and her whole family. Like, I'm, yeah, I met, I just, yeah, like, I think that was a huge catalyst for change because they, they just treated me with so much love and care and encouragement. And, and it's not to say that my family didn't like, that's why it's so hard to like tell the story because it's, it's not hard. It's just like, they were not terrible people, you know, they are not terrible people. It's, I'm still defining like how I even tell the story, you know, like it's still kind of a work in progress for me to yes. tell it. And it kind of I... sounds, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. It kind of sounds, I don't know, just from my hearing other people's stories and experiences, like, correct me if I'm wrong, that, you know, you can have like a loving family or like have a pretty whatever childhood, but it's somebody else that like loves you or appreciates or, or shows you it in a different way that lands for you. So it's like, mm. my parents loved me to the beyond, mm. but you know, when I was growing up, I didn't feel seen or heard or, you know what I mean? It was just my mm. experience of like, but then you could go to a friend's house and a certain friend, their, their parent or their family could just like give it to you in the way that it landed or you received, or I don't know if it would be like your love language or whatever, where it just landed. And it was like, not that the two were like, so even wildly different. It was just that you just, it just, mm. I don't know. Yeah. Like the way you receive it is the way that you are, that you understand to be loved. Yeah. I think it is like a love language thing. And I think in my family, it, like in my family, it was like acts of service, but I don't think that landed for me. I think I needed the like gentle, like, are you okay? <laughs> you know, um, like, I don't even know what language that is. I don't know. I don't know them all to be honest. I should, but I don't. Um, yeah. But anyway. And did, I just want to ask, did your family, um, notice anything? I know it's like a busy household. There's like six mm. people living in there, four girls, a set of twins, all the same age. Like, did your family and friends and teachers just kind of take it as like, oh, maybe she's shy or she's um, self-conscious or doesn't really talk much, but that's just like her personality. Or do you think that they actually notice like, you know, she's, there's something going on. I think everyone thought I was perfectly fine. And I think that it's because I did such a great job of shoving it down and hiding. I hid, I hid, I, I hid so much. I hid so much about myself 
I, I did come off as really shy, like, which is wild to me now that I was ever shy, but, <laughs> but I was, I was, I was just like, like, keep quiet and don't stir the pot and don't say anything that might piss anybody off. And, you know, and just go through life that way. And yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't think anybody suspected that anything was off. Like we all got good grades and I had friends like I did, you know, I did at school. I'm thinking like I, I had did have friends. So like, I think socially they were like, everything's fine. She has friends. You're fine. And then you hit high school and you met this wonderful friend that you're still friends mm -hmm. with now, her family, you just felt seen and mm -hmm. heard and you could share your voice and that safe space, mm -hmm. whatever that was. Mm -hmm. So then did things kind of shift and get better for a while before you hit like second rock bottom? Yes. Yes. So yeah, they definitely did. Um, my friend and her family like encouraged me to sing. So I started to sing. I took less, I started taking lessons when I was 16, which is later for most, for a lot of people at the time, but whatever. Um, <laughs> um, and I really wanted to sing. I really liked to sing. Um, but it was, yeah, it was something I got made fun of. So I stopped doing, it was one of those things. So when I was younger, so um, yeah, things definitely got better. I ended up going to university for French randomly and criminology. It's not really important, but uh, something completely unrelated because my parents were like, oh, be a French teacher. You guys speak French. And I was like, yeah, I could do that, but I'm not really into it. But what else am I going to do? I'm 17 and I'm off to university. So, right. So anyway, so I did that. I graduated in three years. I like did a three-year degree and was like, ah, I'm out of here. And then I went to college for musical theater. And that was like the best because I was for the first time in my life around theater people. <laughs> I was like the weird theater kid in a family of non-musical people and not theater. And I, I mean, I was, I wasn't like an actor. I'm more, I'm more of a singer, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, like I was like the kooky weirdo in my family. That's how I felt. And then I went to school and everyone was a kooky weirdo. And I was like, this is the best, you know? And they're just all so vulnerable and open and passionate and like fierce, like just these fierce, vulnerable people who like were like cheering me on every step of the way, like in every class and everything that I did, they thought I was so talented and so amazing and kind. And they would like celebrate me in this way that I was like, and same with my friend's family. I was like, what, you think I'm funny? Like, what? I've never been told that in my life. Like, okay, great. <laughs> These people think I'm funny. <laughs> I must be doing something right. I don't know. And then, um, yeah, college was amazing. And then I think when college ended is when things started to go downhill. So basically, um, yeah, when college ended, it was like the most devastating loss in my life at the time. I didn't realize this until way later, but because I was in this beautiful environment for three whole years with all these people who I fit in with and I got to do the thing I loved, we were singing and we were dancing and we were acting. It was so much fun. It was like, it was hard work. It was very physical, very emotionally demanding, very mentally demanding work, but it was still like just so fulfilling for me because I was really like at home in that work. Um, so then when college ended, it was kind of like everyone scattered and went to different locations and lots of people went to Toronto, um, you know, to do the whole acting thing. Um, and I think that was the beginning of a bad time for me. <laughs> Um, I got out of college 
I moved around a few times. That part's not really important, but basically, um, I think I was extremely depressed after college ended. I didn't know how to process the loss. I didn't like now all of a sudden, like if I wanted to see these brands, like I'd have to travel to different cities to see them. And it wasn't like we were, it was never going to be like it was right. Like that, that like season had ended and it was so devastating. Um, I ended up randomly in Ottawa (laughs) Um, and I worked in hotels for a couple of years and I auditioned for stuff, but didn't get anything, but that wasn't a big deal. But basically I was like kind of far away from my family. I was far away from my friends, most of them. Um, And I was, I'm an anxiously attached kind of girl. And I was with like an avoidant person, an avoidant attached kind of person, um, which made things really interesting. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It was a challenge to be with him. (laughs) to say the least, um, when you don't have an awareness, right, of like how anxious you are. And yeah, so and yeah, oh my gosh, there's so many things. So basically, that whole time in my life is pretty, I I can look back at it now and be like, of course, I was depressed. Of course, I was having panic attacks. Of course, I was unfulfilled in my job. Of course, this person I was like, the guy I was dating was not the right person for me. Like I can see that all now, of course, right? And then so I was already debating about moving home, like back to Niagara and um, my, what ended up happening is my grandfather passed away and that was kind of the cherry on top. I was like, okay, I'm already so unhappy here. I need to go somewhere where like I know people because I had no friends or family. Not I had like two friends <laughs> and no family there. So when I was in the hospital having panic attacks, I was alone, like literally alone, like by myself. So it was really hard. Um, and so I moved back home after my grandfather passed away just because I felt like I was needed here and I wanted to like wipe the slate clean and kind of start again. What do I want to do with my life? You know? Yeah. So then... I ended up living in an apartment by myself. Like I ended up getting my own place for a while. And that's kind of where I realized how much, and I didn't know this at the time, but how much I hated myself. I being alone with my own thoughts was the worst place in the world for me to be. I was full of this dialogue that told me I was stupid and worthless and awful and I couldn't get rid of it. And again, I felt it like, I knew it wasn't normal. I felt like other people don't feel or think like this. There's like, you know, it has, when we're like anxious and depressed, it has, it makes us feel so separate from everyone and everything. It's so isolated and so lonely. And so I was feeling all of those feelings and I was like always desperately in search of a man to make me happy because I feel like I was conditioned to think that that would solve all my problems, you know, which that is the biggest load of bullshit ever. (laughs) But so, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So I don't even know, like I ended up, yeah, I was just like in this not great mental state. I was working though. Like I was working full time and I was, I was volunteering for a theater company performing. So I was doing that and I was with theater people again, which made me really happy and fulfilled. But like under all that, like as soon as I came home and I was by myself, like it would all start again. It was like a fire, like waiting for me when I opened the door and I couldn't escape it. Like it was awful. It was just a bad place to be. And 
even so like that was then and then a couple of years later now i have like an amazing boyfriend who's now my husband yay um happy endings um <laughs> spoiler alert here <laughs> spoiler alert yeah um amazing boyfriend now i have a performing job so now i'm getting paid to perform yay and another great thing right um like i had stability i had my own place i had this amazing man like i on paper had everything I was supposed to have to make me happy. And the fire was still there. This like deep self-loathing, this like dialogue that like didn't even belong to me. Like it wasn't like I put it there, it, but it felt like I put it there, but I, I didn't put it there. Um, I know that now, right? Um, and so I started to, and the emotional highs and lows. So this is another thing that's kind of been constant throughout my whole life is feeling like, really okay and then really really low and then okay again and then low again but like so low where it feels like there's no way out and it's just like this fog where there is no hope and no light and it feels like it's gonna be there like that's gonna be this place that I will stay forever and I have been in that place for like multiple months before and bad times right so yeah, all this was happening at the same time. So I started to drink alcohol to numb out to deal with my emotional roller coaster and my self hate and my like, just these stories I had about myself about how worthless I was and how awful I was and how stupid I was and it was not good. And so basically, all of that led to I and I like, I have to go back for a second, but I had started therapy. Um, so I had been in therapy for a few years. I finally told my family doctor, like, I'm, I'm like bordering on suicide again. Like these thoughts and these feelings are coming back. Like I've been here before they're coming back again. Like this is an issue. So I got referred to a psychiatrist and I started medications so I was on meds for a while and I switched medications, but I was drinking that whole time, which you're not supposed to do, but I hated myself. So I was doing whatever to my body at the time, right? Um, yeah, I'm not proud of it, but when you're that in that place, you, yeah, you don't <laughs> see, like you don't care what you're doing to yourself because you hate yourself so much. Um, so I promise this story gets better by the way. <laughs> Like, no, absolutely. <laughs> like, I feel like they, these are the pieces that, you know, not everybody shares. It's, it's a vulnerable yeah. place to be here and share like what is actually going through your mind and the thoughts that you're having were like, you know, I'm sure there's so many other people there that have been there can relate to it somehow and mm -hmm. be like, you know what, I'm not alone. And she's, you know, there's going to be a happy ending and mm -hmm. maybe they're in that place now, but I think it's so important to dive into all those details because they really mm. do matter and it's like a part of your story so mm. don't ever apologize for any mm -hmm. of it like I <laughs> we're here for it all mm -hmm. we're here for it all amazing amazing thank you um so yeah basically I had where was I I had been on meds I was in therapy and I still, right. I still have this amazing man and this like little apartment. Like I was like, why is it still not working? So then, you know, then I started to drink. Well, not, it's all kind of happened at the same time. And that went on for a few years. I gained a whole bunch of weight and I started to overeat to cope as well. I started to overspend to cope 
as well. And I think I was just trying to pile on anything I could to make me feel even like 5% better in the moment, not long-term, right? Because that's another thing. When you're in that place, there that you feel like that is the long-term. So you're just looking for anything to feel 5% better or 1% better when you're that low and you will grasp at whatever is available to you. And alcohol is so ingrained in our society. It's literally everywhere. Um, and so that was like a super easy thing for me to go grab because it was like when society was telling me, right? Society was telling me like when you're happy, when you're sad, when you're lonely, when you're nervous, when you're excited, when you're relaxing, when you're whatever, go grab a drink. It's like, okay, so that's what I did. So next thing I knew I was drinking so much, I had become addicted. I had no, like I, at the time had no idea like how that all happened because alcohol is a highly addictive substance that plays on the reward system in your brain. So it messes your chemistry all up. So now I was fully addicted. And I actually had a psychiatrist say to me, I can't treat you until you stop drinking. Which is like, maybe not the best approach for someone who's really low like that. <laughs> um, and I remember that conversation also being like a soul crushing day where it was like, but I'm only drinking because this is so bad. Can we fix problem number one first, you know? But I mean, it was a wake up call. That's for sure. It was like, I have to get sober. And so, like, I'm telling, oh, sorry, go ahead. So, so when you were with your psychiatrist, like, were you hung over? Were you drunk at that time? Were you just saying like, I just drink a lot or like, how did that come into the conversation? Yeah, no, they, no, I was completely, I was completely sober and not hung over anything. I was, it was just like a daytime appointment on the phone. This was a different psychiatrist than the initial one years before who had prescribed me with meds, but because it had been years later and I had already been on meds and stuff, I, I saw it like a different psychiatrist through a different organization um, that my new family doctor, different family doctor referred me to, but yeah, no, it was just a daytime phone call. And they ask you how much you drink or oh. like they ask you if you have any addiction issues and they ask you questions. So they, so I had to tell them, I had to be honest how much I was drinking. And at the time y'all, it was a lot. It was probably like one and a half to two bottles of wine, sometimes like a liter and a half of wine in one night, probably five nights a week. And this seems like a repeat, um, like story for you, I guess, in your childhood, you told that friend, Hey, I'm, I'm having these thoughts like, you know, and she said, okay, you're complaining too much. And then you're actually honest with someone who's supposed to be there and help you and say like, Hey, this is what's actually going on you know, a lot of people would probably lie on the intake form or not really get, you know, mm. budge the numbers. And you said, this is what's going on. And then again, okay, well, I guess you're going to have to quit doing this before I can treat you. Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I never noticed the parallels in those two stories until this very moment. But yeah, um, like the psychiatrist's basically like in my experience, what they do is they kind of take a list of your symptoms and they prescribe you a medication and they may diagnose you with something. 
that's kind of their job. They're not like my psychologist is someone I meet with for an hour at a time. Um, and we discuss lots of things and we talk about almost like trains of thought or like how there might be some like, no, I don't want to say flaws in my thinking, but like where I might be doing like where there might be cognitive distortions, like black and white thinking and things like that. Like we break things down and have like a full conversation it has nothing to do with medication. Um, whereas the psychiatrist is like, what's basically, what are your symptoms? Here's a prescription. That's, that's been my experience anyway. Okay. Um, so it wasn't like the psychiatrist's um, job, unfortunately to like counsel me really. Okay. That, um, but it's, I mean, I still like (laughs) question maybe like that approach because like, this is clearly a person who's so super desperate for help. Right. Like it was, it was, yeah, really defeating to be like, well, I can't. So now, and then it was like, well, I'm the problem. I'm drinking. It's my fault. I can't get help. I'm keeping myself here. It's all me. And that's like, okay, some of it is me because of course I made choices and I will never sit here and say it was all alcohol's fault. Like, obviously not, but there are parts of addiction that I did not choose. And the part where it like messes with your brain chemistry, the part where it's highly addictive to begin with the part where it messes up your reward system. So like, I didn't choose that. I didn't, Like, I, like, you don't know that it's happening until it's like way too late. Like that you basically, you're like, okay, if I have like a really stressful, awful week, I'm going to drink. And then next thing you know, it's like, someone said something awful to me today. I'm drinking. Like, you don't realize like what happens in that in-between, which is that it's messing, it's messing up your reward system. I don't have the like science. I I know the science because I've read it, but um, I, I couldn't explain it myself, but but yeah, next thing you know, your gauge for like how much, like how much you're willing to tolerate before you have a drink is so low that you don't even, you don't, and you don't realize that how that happened, you know? And so anyway, so yeah. So on December 29th, 2020, I took myself for a walk at my favorite park and I was like, okay, I know I had been at this point in individual counseling for alcohol use for six months or so. And I had tried to moderate for about three of those months and it wasn't working. Like every time I would use like drink, it would still be way over and above what I was supposed to have. And it just wasn't, it wasn't working. So I took myself for a walk and I was like, okay, I was waiting for this epiphany. Like I was waiting for like some big reason to pop into my life where it would make me stop drinking or drink less. And I realized that there was no epiphany coming. There was nothing that was going to pop in that was going to be stronger than anything, any other reason I already had to stop. And so I just realized that like it was legitimately on me that I had to stop. I just had to. And I have not had a drink since that day. So it has been 576 days 
since December 29th, 2020. And I have been sober that, this entire time. <laughs> um, congratulations. That's incredible. And okay. Like that, that just like goes to show, okay. There's a couple things, the power of the mind, you actually coming to that point where you made that decision for yourself. Mm-hmm. And then how did that happen? Because you were before where you said like you were self-loathing and you hated yourself and you're stupid and you're this and you're that. And you mm-hmm. like had such negative self-talk and your mindset mm-hmm. wasn't in this place. So mm-hmm. like, it's so interesting how like one little thought of like, mm-hmm. no epiphany is coming. Like mm-hmm. I better, you know, make a change. And then you were able to change what was it the decision or how did you like that's that's a long streak from where you were so like how Mm -hmm. I guess Mm -hmm. yeah yeah no that's a great question um so about six months before that so in May of that same year May of 2020 I was really really low um I mean at this point I had put on about 80 pounds from where I was like after, after college and after I'd moved home and all that stuff. So, um, and I was feeling like I really didn't like myself. I really didn't like my body. I didn't appreciate anything my body did for me. And I just met up with some friends on zoom cause it was COVID. Right. So we couldn't hang out. So we met on zoom and I just kind of told them like, I was really low and you know, I was like ashamed of myself and you know, as if there wasn't enough to be ashamed about now, it was like, I don't even want to show up in public anywhere because I don't even, I hate what I look like now. And they said something really important to me. They said, you don't deserve to feel that bad about yourself all the time. And I was like, you're so fucking right. (laughs) Like, I don't, like, I don't, I don't deserve to keep dragging myself through the mud. Like you're right. So that was in May. So that, and so May of that year was when I started to walk again. And I like just going for walks around the block, like half an hour, 20 minutes. I just started to do something like almost every day, not every single day, but most days um, to move my body again. And then I started to do these like online workout videos. And then, you know, it led to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. But it was like that, even just that mindset, mindset shift was like I think that definitely played into my decision to stop drinking like I I just knew only I could do it I like had everything you know it's like I had everything on paper right I had this amazing guy like he's so amazing I can't even tell but right and I had you know a job I loved with a team I loved I had a we had a cute little place like I had there was there was no reason like on paper, no reason why I should be drinking. But, um, I think I just realized like, I didn't deserve to keep dragging myself through the mud. I didn't deserve to keep hating myself. Like something had to change, right? Like it was, it was like, I don't change and I keep drinking and I keep probably gaining weight and I keep eating like crap and I keep trying to like coat everything that is really going on which is unresolved trauma and you know no skills when it comes to emotion regulation and no skills when it comes to like validating my own experience no skills when it comes to handling my um my emotions I kind of already said that but 
you know, and it was just like, I, yeah, either I stay here and I literally die because eventually my body's going to start to shut down or I live. And like, what does that look like? And in my recovery, what I basically did was I like took the slate and I wiped it clean. And I was like, who am I without my like family unit? Who am I without like religion? Who am I without like society? Like who am I without, honestly, like my whole recovery journey was such a process in removing and removing and removing and removing and like stripping down to like my own alignment and truth and expansiveness and just like walking in those shoes every day and deciding to put on those shoes every day. Like it was hard at first for sure. Um, I read um, Sober Curious by Ruby Warrington and she did like a follow-up hundred day workbook that got you to examine your drinking. And so that was a really awesome, helpful tool in the beginning of that recovery process. And of course my individual counseling and, um, and uh, yeah, and I just started to read books and listen to podcasts and I just started to elevate like literally one day at a time. Okay. There's so many things that I want to talk about here. <laughs> um, first, because COVID, you know, COVID was a huge thing for so many people and we were, you know, everything changed. But one thing during COVID that I kind of thought was really bizarre as we went through it was like places around town, right? The world was shut down, locked down. So many places were, were closed. Like you had to legally close, but one place that was an essential service, at least where (laughs) I was at, Mm -hmm. were liquor stores, Mm -hmm. liquor stores. You know, there was like clothing stores and like local stores that sold the same things as like big box retailers, like Walmart, they had to close their doors, but liquor stores were allowed to stay open. So Mm -hmm. it's like that, you know, it's just bizarre to me. So where you're at, you know, the pandemic has arrived, you're kind of at home by yourself and you're struggling with alcohol and Mm -hmm. it's so freely available. And now you're, you're in your home and able to access it. Like, did it get worse during COVID or was it kind of the same? And like, what along this way, like we know you're married now, but what did your boyfriend or your, your husband at the time, did he ever say anything? Did he notice things? Did you hide it? Were you open with him about it or what were, what was his kind of take on it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. first I'll speak to just the fact that liquor stores were open because oh my gosh yeah people have to feed their addictions and a lot of people overdrank during COVID right like I would say from like the very beginning of the pandemic to the time I I actually stopped so that like most of 2020 there um it's it was the same as it was like the year before that like so it was still like in excess, but it, it wasn't, it didn't get worse during pandemic. It was about the same for me. Um, so that's that. 
And then, yeah, no. So basically, so I, I always feel the need to explain, like, I wasn't like, I didn't wake up and start drinking. Like I didn't, it was never like that for me. And I mean, there's nothing like, I'm not judging, like, I'm not judging people who do it's, it's just basically what my experience was that, um, it was mostly in the evenings, mostly like, um, like with my partner, but he would, he could, he could moderate, he could have like one or two and stop. I could never have one or two and stuff. I was like, drink till it's gone kind of person. We were always like refilling the fridge. Like I, ugh, yeah, <laughs> it, it like makes me shudder to think of how much we used to buy. Um, but yeah, so it wasn't, I definitely didn't, I never hit it from him. Like I have always been able to, from day one, be so honest about my pain with him. Thank, thank God for him, you know, like, I'm so lucky that I have this amazing person who like, didn't judge me. Let me go through my shit, you know, like let me go through whatever it was that I had to go through while still staying there and being a support. Like, I don't even, he's such a saint. <laughs> I don't even know. Um, you know, and I know he had his like suspicions that there might be a bigger problem, but and he, he would definitely try to be like, I don't think we should tonight or maybe like, let's maybe not do that. Let's do something else. Like he would like gently suggest, you know, but when you're like addicted, you're like, no, 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 I'm doing this whether you like it or not, you know? So, um, yeah, no, he knew everything. Like he was the person who knew the most because we lived together. So, uh, yeah, he saw it all, but I mean, he really, he really did support me. And in, in that I, like, I was the one who had to make the realizations, like no amount of threats or whatever, like would have changed. I had to go through it. Right. Like I had to, and he really, really provided like a space for me to figure all of that out by myself and then to dig myself out of it. And I'm so blessed. Like, it brings me to tears sometimes when I think of like, when I just think about him because um, like sometimes when I meditate in the morning, I just like ball my eyes out in gratitude for him because he's just such an angel. Like I, like if I didn't have him, Oh my goodness. During that whole time, like, I don't even know where I would be. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm so happy. How wonderful that you yeah. have, that you have someone like that. So mm -hmm. then when you like got to this point, December 29th, 2020, when you made that decision, now you're deciding like, I'm putting on new shoes. I'm stripping back all of this stuff and mm -hmm. I'm just going to like show up as myself and I'm choosing these shoes to walk in every day. And mm -hmm. I'm actually physically like moving and getting out like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what, like, did people around you notice a different you or they're like who is this girl or like oh she's finally shining or like taking up space or her voice mm -hmm. is finally um you know because you were maybe didn't say what you wanted to say or you were kind of quiet or you know just because mm -hmm. of everything else when you finally started stepping into that person who you were that felt really good without everything else mm -hmm. did people notice well, most of the, most of it was during the pandemic. So we didn't see a lot of people. So I was doing a lot of the work 
honestly by myself. Like last summer, I would like pack a backpack with snacks. Um, like the I did the artist's way last year and also read um, The Judgment Detox by Gabby Bernstein. Like, so I'd like, and my journal, I'd pack my journal and I would like go out for the day and just like spend all kinds of time by myself. Like just wandering around, hiking, yoga, like, and that's where a lot of the discovery happened. And that's where a lot of the changing happened and the alignment happened. Um, and I didn't really broadcast it because it was like, I, yeah, I was still pandemic times and lockdowns and everything else. So um, I'm sure people noticed like, <laughs> um, yeah, like I know my mom specifically like has seen a huge change in me. I know that. Um, yeah. Like, I don't know. I can't really answer that because I don't know anyone else's perspective. Um, I think people are still figuring out like how different I might, I might be and how my approach, like my approach is so like to life and to living is so, so different. Um, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. That makes sense. And that, mm -hmm. that'll be cool that it's like an, like an unfolding people who, maybe experienced you one way and now when they interact with you will experience you a different way or, or realize maybe, maybe that wasn't like really Sam, you know, growing up and even mm. your family or your friends, you know, like that wasn't mm. her like shining in her fullest, like maybe mm. what we thought, you know, now she can really step into herself and be who she mm. is. Mm -hmm. And like, probably the most important thing I learned in my recovery was that you need to set boundaries around your energy because there were so many energy suckers in my life that were mirroring back this story that I had, that I was worthless and stupid and all, all those things. Right. And as soon as I started to put that at arm's length and, or cut people off, cause I did that too. <laughs> um, and conserve that precious, precious energy for my heart and, and how I can give to other people and like the people in my life who like really love me without conditions. Um, that was so, that was a huge, like it's still a huge like takeaway. I don't know, takeaway, um, like, it's the, my energy is the most important thing in my life and my sobriety and my recovery is the most important thing. And it's, it's like, I've created my own little Island of peace. And if anybody, anybody <laughs> tries to come on my Island and tell me something else, they are getting the fuck exiled out of my Island. <laughs> like I don't have, like, I, I've put up with enough in my lifetime that it's like, I don't have, you just, your tolerance for bullshit goes down so much. I think when you've like become sober um, and, and not just sober from alcohol, like I became sober from all of the things that were making me, not me. And mm -hmm. when that happened, like I don't have time for low level energy suckers. I don't. You know what? I think like if anybody takes, you know, one thing away from this, I'm sure they'll walk away just with a whole ton, but that boundaries thing in your energy is, is like life changing. And, you know, it can be hard because it can be people who, 
you love and you care about and that are friends or that are family. But when you realize like your energy is so precious and Mm. you actually get to decide who you allow to the island or not, whether it's a difficult decision or not, because let's face it, it's like the people who are around us that, you know, that are family or really good friends, like sometimes they're part of the people where we have to set boundaries Mm -hmm. around. So it, it can be really difficult, but we actually get to choose because you also said earlier about, you know, you were reading different books, you were listening to podcasts and where you spend your time and your energy. Like when you spend time with positive people, you're more likely to either like be in that mindset or become a positive person or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If you're surrounding yourself, what you surround yourself with matters. If you're surrounding yourself with people who are like sucking your energy, sucking Mm -hmm. you dry or are negative and always complaining, well, you're probably going to turn into a complainer. Like it's easy, right? Mm -hmm. Like jump on board. Mm So putting, putting healthy boundaries, definitely can change things mm-hmm. very quickly in your life mm-hmm. or your energy. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think it was a coincidence because nothing's a coincidence that I also happened to read this judgment book um, at the same time, because um, in this book called the judgment detox by Gabby Bernstein, she has you do this exercise where you list out everything you judge other people for. It's a wild experiment. Okay. And then you, there's, I don't want to like spoil the book. Cause there's, there's a lot of good stuff in that book, but um, there's a few different columns in that particular exercise. And the last column is where did you like learn this? Where did you pick this up? And it's like, Oh, look at all these stories that aren't even mine that I'm now that I project out onto the world on all these other people. Like I need to check myself and check my shit about whether that's my story or not. Right. Um, yeah. And I mean, I basically applied the same principles to myself. It was like, okay, where did I get this, this notion? Like who told me I was stupid? Like I have a degree and a diploma. If we're talking academic stupid or like, or not stupid, but like we're talking academics. I passed all the things with flying colors. So there's that, you know, it's like, that is like the, there's nothing, there's zero truth to that. Like I can think of a whole bunch of other examples of my intelligence, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, that, that story no longer. Okay. Bye <laughs> next, you know, it's like dismantling this, like this narrative and these stories that, that you think belong to you, but really, really don't. That's a great exercise. I'm definitely going to check that book out because yeah, some of the judgments that we hold and like place on others, I feel like we could even turn them back on ourselves. And like, instead of putting their name, put our name in it. I've heard that and be like, mm-hmm. Ooh, where does it, where does this apply to me? I'm very judgmental about this. Like why? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's another thing when you, when you stop that, when you like catch yourself and you release, you forgive the thought and you release that energy back into the field you're not expelling that energy onto other people. Now it's like, it's another way of, for, of you to like use your energy differently or protect it or save it for yourself. Or, you know what I mean? Like you're, it's like, you're not, you're not like giving away all this energy on stuff that really has no 
no substance. Yeah. That is really just something that you are reflect like that you have an issue with, with yourself that you haven't resolved. So it's a really an opportunity to resolve that thing with, within you. And then you can make peace with it. And then now you're not expelling that energy all the time. Mm, so good. So good. Okay. We're, we have a few minutes left and I have some final questions, but before I get to my final questions, um, we got to talk about the happy ending. So <laughs> tell us about you. You just recently got married. Tell us mm-hmm. all the details. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, I don't even know where to start. Um, I journal a lot and in, so Brandon proposed to me in 2018, <laughs> which is forever ago, feels like. And so we had, we were supposed to get married in 2020, but then COVID happened and not just COVID, but then, you know, there were like my alcohol issues, my mental health issues, like, and then we were having issues and like between the two of us. And so it was just like, we're just going to hang this up and not pick it up again. And so yeah, I journal a lot. So December, this past December of 2021 comes around. And at this point we had kind of postponed the wedding indefinitely and I'm journaling and I'm like, I need to get to the bottom of something. So I sat here and I journaled for in this very spot for probably like two plus hours. (laughs) And I was like, why am I resistant to marrying Brandon? Like, why can't I proceed with this? Like, what other proof do I need that this person is like here for life, you know, like here and showing up. And I was like, it's not about him. It's about me. I can tell that it's something that I haven't resolved. And so I committed, I sat down, I was like, okay, let's figure this out. And I had a two part epiphany. (laughs) The first part of it was like, Oh, hang on. I got to get it right. So I don't mess up the story. Um, The first part of my epiphany was that I was worthy of unconditional love. I was so used to having to do something to earn that, that I didn't realize like it could be this way and it was okay. And I didn't owe this person something for just providing this like solid foundation of just pure generous love. So that I deserved that from myself, you know, that it was a me thing first. Like I needed to know that I deserved that unconditional love from me. And part of that was letting somebody else in. And so I had this like epiphany where I was like, not only am I worthy, hallelujah, but here's this guy, this angel man (laughs) who is so handsome, by the way, he's just like drop dead gorgeous. Um, who, is just here loving me, just waiting for me to like, per, let's, you know, let's proceed with the wedding plans. And it was like, oh, I can move forward with this now because now I'm out of my way because I had hung on to this story for so long that I wasn't worthy of that kind of like deep love of me first. And then that he was here, like willing to give it to me. It's like, yeah, no, I can let this person in. Cause I'm allowed cause I'm worthy. Like it, like all this time, all this time until December of last year, y'all all this time, I thought I wasn't worthy, you know? And I, it's still a practice. It's still a practice for me to like tell myself that all the time. So 
but I had this like amazing breakthrough was like, hallelujah. I was so excited to tell him that I was like, okay, I can proceed now with certainty, right? With absolute certainty. Now that there's nothing else in the way, no alcohol. Like I still live with a mental illness, but it was at this point very manageable and it is now too. Um, and I can like, I can go ahead with this. So um, I didn't tell him right away, but I basically started to plan our wedding like the day after <laughs> I had this epiphany. He didn't know. And then um, on Boxing Day, I bought I had bought him a ring and I proposed to him in our apartment in front of the Christmas tree, even though we were already engaged. <laughs> but as a I way of telling it. him, yeah, as a way of telling him, I was like ready to like move forward with certainty. Um, for to get married and he was he had no idea like he was like what are you doing <laughs> um and I was so excited I wrote him this little speech and I bawled like a baby and then we planned our wedding in six months because at this point I had already planned it like four separate times so and we ended up making it like such a unique like special intimate day that like we would not have done two three years ago like it was all so meant to be and it ended up being like a small, yeah, like 60 person. We did it at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. We had a brunch buffet. Um, we only had like one person each in our wedding party. Um, so there were like a, like short, like a few speeches, nothing crazy. Um, we met performing in a country show. So we had like our friend who sang a song on stage while we were like, we were dancing on stage. Like we were told to dance on stage by the director. You know, this our friend who sang that song, he sang our song at our wedding is amazing. It was like so happy and joyful and the energy in the room is so clean and it was a magical day. I can't even, it was so magical. Oh, I'm so, so happy for you. And that yes. like, it didn't happen when you got engaged in 2018 until, until you got to a place where you could love yourself unconditionally accept unconditional love, walk in your own shoes, you know, mm -hmm. like how great that it, that it didn't end up happening through all of that time until, you know, you got to the point where you could have that beautiful, mm -hmm. clean energy and be mm -hmm. so joyful and happy. So yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It was a journey for sure, but it was definitely like it all just aligned in such a beautiful way. And yeah, I, I like almost like I meditate every morning and almost every single day I cry during my meditation because just out of gratitude, out of gratitude that I had like this voice say to me, like, you need to stop drinking. And, you know, for all the times I sat down and have journaled and have had breakthroughs and just, you know, and like, yeah, it's just like, I can't believe this is my life now. Like now there's like a safety and a knowing in my day to day where I didn't have before. Like I grew up so anxious every day. There was, there was not a safety, you know, and now there's like this amazing safety within myself that I created, you know, with the universe, co-created with the universe, that that's my reality. And it's like, whoa it's so magical like i can't even begin 
Mm, and for anybody listening right now that are, is living in the reality that you once were or is at the rock bottom or any of this is resonating, they can hear that it can be completely magical and different. You know what I mean? Like complete polar opposite. Mm. You did say something we haven't touched on yet. And you talked about your mental illness is manageable. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. did you want to touch on that? Yeah. Yeah. So I have um, borderline personality disorder. My initial diagnosis when I saw the very first psychiatrist in 2016 was obsessive compulsive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder with panic and depression. So it was like a monster (laughs) when I first got diagnosed, but we, after a couple of years of being on medication, um, we like my psychologist and I kind of like, I had found her maybe a year or so prior, we had been working together and I was still going through all these highs and lows. Right. I was like, but I, but I did the things and nothing's working. And, and we suspected together, she introduced me to it, but she was like, I think it's because you don't have those things. I think it's because you have borderline. And so I was like, Oh, what Keska say? Like, what is that? And so it has, there's nine different, um, traits. And you, I think in order to get the official diagnosis, you have to have like five out of nine or something. Um, and a lot of people, when they hear personality disorder, think it's like split personality disorder, which is not, it's not the same thing at all. Um, I've got the nine like traits if you want to hear them. Sure. Okay. Uh, So the first one is an intense fear of abandonment, even going to extreme measures to avoid real or imagined separation or rejection, a pattern of unstable, intense relationships, such as idealizing someone one moment and then suddenly believing the person doesn't care enough or is cruel, rapid changes in self-identity and self-image that include shifting goals and values and seeing yourself as bad or as if you don't exist at all. Periods of stress-related paranoia and loss of contact with reality lasting from a few minutes to a few hours. Impulsive and risky behaviors such as gambling, reckless driving, unsafe sex, spending sprees, binge eating, or drug abuse, or sabotaging success by suddenly quitting a good job or ending a positive relationship. Suicidal threats or behavior or self-injury, often in response to fear of separation or rejection. Wide mood swings lasting from a few hours to a few days, which can include intense happiness, irritability, shame, or anxiety. Ongoing feelings of emptiness and inappropriate intense anger, such as frequently losing your temper, being sarcastic or bitter, or having physical fights. Brandon and I don't have physical fights. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so it's a pretty uh, hefty (laughs) uh, diagnosis. And so the therapy the uh, treatment, sorry, for BPD is a specific type of therapy called dialectical behavioral therapy, which I did a six month course. And there's a workbook too you can get, um, which helps you deal with, it helps you learn mindfulness skills. So being present, it helps you learn about um, emotion regulation and it helps you learn about conflict, like basically interpersonal relationships and conflict resolution that you're not always seeing the other person as like completely bad and you have to write them off or like uh, the best. Like it's a very, (laughs) there's lots of like polar opposite things that happen um, and lots of cognitive distortions. So um, yeah. 
Well, yeah, reading all of those out, like, thank goodness that you, I guess I got the diagnosis because that is a lot of heavy stuff so that you could do the therapy to get to the place where you are today, because living with that year after year after year, continuing to live with that, like Mm -hmm. no wonder, no wonder you're drinking alcohol to numb out when you're feeling like that. So Mm -hmm. thank goodness that you could get a diagnosis so you could address the, the symptoms of it. Right. And be in such a good place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so, so grateful, um, for, yeah, for having a really amazing psychologist truthfully, because I don't think with, without her, I would not have known. Um, and, uh, it's definitely, there is definitely when you are aware, (laughs) when you know what you have, you can treat it. If you don't know, you can't do anything. Like Mm -hmm. that doesn't even apply to even a mental illness. It's like, if you don't know, you have that story that you're projecting about how you're worthless and no one likes you, like, and you're, you're walking around with that story and you're projecting it and you, but you don't, you're not aware you're never going to fix it. And you're always going to see the same thing and wonder why, right? It's like, you need to get clear. You need to get aware of what goes on up there. Like what, you know, what goes on in your head and like, where maybe did you get these stories? And like, are they even true? No. Oh, I love all of that. I love, love, love all that because with awareness, you know, it's the, the unconscious thoughts that keep us stuck. So, I mean, really my belief is you got to do the work. It doesn't matter if you had a phenomenal childhood, great experience growing up the whole way. You don't have like a bad memory, or if you've been through, you know, some really traumatic stuff or a little traumatic stuff growing up, like it doesn't really matter. I feel like on our journey, how it, it looks like all of us at a certain point really need to do the work because just growing up in our world, you know, you're going to catch some stuff that isn't yours or like you need to heal. So Mm -hmm. like getting the awareness and figuring out what it is so that really you could live a more easy, breezy, joyful, grateful, positive life. Like Mm -hmm. it's worth investigating and doing the work because it is like the other side. There is like this great place to be alive and to really, really live and thrive and love, Mm. love your life. So, Mm -hmm. and it's not even just like, okay, today I'm going to wake up and be positive the whole entire time. It's like, today I'm going to allow everything that's here to be here, but I'm going to love myself anyway. And I'm going to hold myself and hug myself through whatever happens today. You know, like it's, I'm not positive all the time. <laughs> I can't be like, it's impossible. It's literally impossible to maintain that energy all the time. But um, it's like, but everything is allowed here. And if we need to go into do some coping today, we'll, we'll do some coping. Yes. I love that. It's not all sunshine and rainbows all day, every day, but it can be like a joyful day to day when you allow yeah. everything and you have the skills to to deal with the stuff that, that does come up, that's going to come up. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I have a couple of final questions for you. So, um, first what, what made you keep going because you didn't quit? Like you just kept going through all of it. Like, what was it that 
that kept you going? I don't even know. <laughs> um, I think on some level, there was something in me saying it gets better. And once I started to like actually live and like savor joy and like really feel the gratitude and like really connect with nature and like really just like starting to love spending time with myself. And as I was seeing all these like changes happen, it was like, oh yeah, it does get better. It just keeps getting better. Like, I, you know, in the beginning of my like early sobriety, it was, it, I was like, how on earth will I never drink again? Like that is just preposterous, you know, like I could not, I could not have imagined, but now I'm like, why would I ever drink again? You know, like, I don't care if everybody does it. I don't care. <laughs> It doesn't work for me. Um, like the more clear you get and the more like you tap into the joy and tap into the alignment and, you know, enjoy that time you, with yourself and learn to love yourself. Like it, I can't even explain it. It's like, it's a feeling that it's like a state of being. It's like this super clean mental environment that is just so peaceful. It's like, it's so good you know, like there is no going back. There is only like, how much better does this get? At the end of my meditation every morning, I just, I say like, I always like thank the universe for all the things. And um, there's a whole bunch of stuff I say. And then at the end of it, I just say like, I open my palms and I say, show me how it gets better. Show me how much good I can do today. Show me the magic. And it's just like, and it just never stops delivering. Like, ah, I love it. <laughs> magic deliveries all day, every day. Like, I mean, not all day, every day, but you know what I mean? Like enough that like, it's just like, it's just magical. It's just so filling. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So in my next question then is like, you know, you used to spend this time drinking in the evening. Like, how do you fill your time? What other things are you doing now with that time? Mm, that's a great question. Um, I never run out of things to do. Like I probably do. I still probably do too many things. Um, in my early sobriety, I was actually in an artistic residency program. So as I mentioned, I went to college for musical theater. So I wrote, that was my third show that I had written. So about 90 minutes where I tell, I talk about my story. And in this particular show, I wrote all the music as well. And I sang it and I played it on piano. I, I'm not a trained piano player. I just chord and that's all I can do. But that's all I did to just support what was going, what, you know, what was going. So that was a big time <laughs> consuming thing. Um, and now I'm running a business. So that is also the most time consuming thing ever. <laughs> um, it's amazing, but it's also like eight full-time jobs in one, right? So um, yeah, uh, yeah, I write music. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I do a lot, I do a lot of things. I read now, I, yeah, I write more songs now. Um, yeah. Okay, so you found plenty of things to fill your time that you once spent numbing yourself out. Now you're mm -hmm. actually like doing the things that like bring you joy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I go watch sunsets and I do yoga and then, you know, like even if it's by myself, I'll bring my computer and write, I'll just free write or whatever. Yeah. Like I'll just go walk and just enjoy. Yeah. Okay. So if you yeah. could go back and tell that girl, that younger version of yourself, what she needed to hear, 
or some words of encouragement, like what would you go back and tell her? Oh, I would tell her that like, I know and honor all of your feelings about how hard this is, but I promise you it, it's going to get so good. You won't even believe how good it's going to get, but like you matter, keep going. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. Lastly, where can everybody find you, follow you and, uh, connect with you? Yeah. So I, um, so my business now, just real quick, um, my business is I provide support to individuals and families who are experiencing mental illness or addiction related challenges. And so I give them my coping strategies Um, harm reduction strategies. I check in with them and follow up. So like if they're on a list for a program that's nine months long, like what are you supposed to do in those nine months? Like I support them one-on-one while they're going through that wait time. Um, If they're like on medication and transitioning, because like the transition from Medicaid is like, it can be just so awful. Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. And so if they just like need a person who's like been through it to just like lean on, and like maybe there's no one in their family who or their friends group who like who understands what that feels like like they reach out to me and i literally just like their friend like just a support person who can just kind of help them through those transitions and you know while they're waiting and all that stuff so yeah and all of the things that i do are on my instagram page sam out loud um and I have a Facebook page too. It's Sam Out Loud Official on Facebook. But uh, my main jam is Instagram. So, yeah. Love it. Love it all. And I love your handle, Sam Out Loud. Thank you. It was Brandon's idea. Bless him. He's so creative. <laughs> like that is not, that's like, it couldn't be more perfect from like what was to like how you are right? today. Yeah. Like, yeah, couldn't be more perfect. And I love that you support people and their families too. Cause I, I've heard something mm. like a few times over the last while about like people who have addictions, like, it's not like a personal part, like it's a whole family, part. like the whole family deals with different things. You know, if somebody has an addiction and it's like people in the family need to be supported in different ways also. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. how incredible Absolutely. that you're you're helping other people along the way. So thank you you so much for sharing your story and opening up with like, you know, there was so much vulnerability and truth and like, it was just all absolutely incredible. And I know that so many people are going to walk away from this changed. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of all things relatable. If you know someone that would relate to this episode and get value from it, please pass it along. Also, if this episode resonated with you, I would love for you to rate, review, and subscribe.